Amen. Let's, uh, if you have a Bible, turn with me uh, to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. We have been studying the life of David. We've seen his ups and downs. And now we will see one of his down times. David knew better than what takes place here. But he went ahead and did it. And I think we can, each one of us here tonight, identify with that. I've done things that I'm not proud of. You've done things that you're not proud of. And sadly, many of those things are the times that I am a Christian. I am a believer in Christ Jesus. And we have this sin nature. And the scriptures tell us that there's a war within us. There's a war of the spirit and the flesh. And what happens is so many times we, uh, like David, we allow the flesh to win. And again, remember that, uh, that, uh, that phrase that everybody's accustomed to. Well, which one's going to win? And that is the one you, you feed the most. And sadly, we feed the flesh sometimes more uh, than the spirit. David gets himself into trouble. And not only does David have an adulterous affair with Bathsheba. But then to cover his sin, he has Uriah, her husband, uh, killed. And so let's begin here in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Look at verse 1. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab, and Joab is his captain, and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they destroyed the of the people of Amnon, and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. The next spring here in the scripture, after the war with the Syrians that we studied last week in 2 Samuel chapter 10, in the Middle East, the scholars will tell you that a time for war is generally fought in the autumn or the springtime. Why? Because the weather is so treacherous in this area, this region. Either it's too cold or, or it's too hot. And so David made the mistake. He did not go to war. He should have gone to war. Yet all of Israel's military was at the Battle of Rabbah, and they were fighting against the Ammonites. King David stayed at home. He was idle, and he should not have been idle. In Proverbs chapter 6, a lesson from the ant. It says the, the ant is called the sluggard. She gathered food all summer. And she was ready for the winter. David was too idle. David was not ready. David and his adultery and Uriah's death. Now this is interesting. We've been going through the Chronicles also. How it parallels. But uh, this particular situation of David's adultery and, and the killing, the murder of Uriah, is not found in the Chronicles. I don't know why, but it was omitted. Look at verse 2 now. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed. He walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. And so you have to understand, David probably has the biggest house. David has the, the house up on the top of the hill, if you may. And so he's looking down at all the other homes. But he's always seen Bathsheba's house. Did he know she was there? I believe so. 
David is resting on the rooftop of his home in Jerusalem. Now, we understand the rooftop. Uh, for our understanding, it's a patio area. This is where they would congregate. This is where they would gather the, the breeze of the, of the day. Enjoying the breeze, the noonday, it's believed. It was too hot for business of the day. This is still a cons- constant, a constant, excuse me, custom getting on the flat roofs of the house in the Middle East. Notice that it's evening now. He looks down towards Bathsheba. Uh, she's bathing. Does he know that it's her? Had he been told that she bathes at, at this time? I don't know. But she was a beautiful, uh, loving woman here. But she belonged to somebody else. Now, I want you to write down this verse in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. Jesus says, you lust after a woman, you commit adultery in your heart. You lust after a woman, you commit adultery after in your heart. Now, we all see, guys, you know this, we see beautiful women. And it's not that first look that gets us in trouble, but it's that second look, it's that third look, it's that fourth look. And before you know it, you've committed adultery in your heart. You've lusted uh, in the flesh. It happens to the women also. And so we have to protect uh, the heart. Bathsheba, did she know? I asked this question, uh, that David's home was right above her. Did David know this was Bathsheba? Had he been told? We don't know the answer to that. Look at verse 3. And so David sent and inquired about this woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, uh, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Right there, David should have known. He knew who uh, Uriah was. He's a good man. We're going to see that. He didn't deserve death, but David took his life. All because David tries to cover his sin. Notice that Bathsheba was a beautiful woman to look at. No doubt it reached the ears. It reached the eyes of David. In the Middle East, the reports would have come. They would have carried the word of mouth by various harems and such. The beauty of Bathsheba was probably known by many. David is a flesh man, even though he's the king. Even though we read the scriptures that it says David was a man after God's own heart, he was still a flesh man. And I don't care any one of you. And when we speak to pastors, uh, they're just as vulnerable as, as we are, as you are. The flesh can creep in at any time. In this man, after God's own heart, went against his own heart, following through on a lustful impulse. David ignored every warning and way of escape that God would set before him. I took that out of one of my commentaries by uh, Kyle and Dalich. I, I really loved it. And notice in the expression he took, he took her and she came to him. There is no indication here whether that David brought Bathsheba uh, into his palace. Listen through craftiness, through trickery, or through violence threatening her, but rather that she came at his request without any hesitation and offered no resistance to his desires. Well, he's the king. I got to obey the king. Consequently, Bathsheba is not to be regarded as free from blame. I'm not blaming her, but you have to look at the text. We hear nothing of her uh, reluctance, and there is no evidence 
that she was taken by force. And so you have to understand this. Sin is sin in the eyes of God. Now, did Bathsheba know or did she not know that it was David and she shouldn't go to bed with him? Did David know Bathsheba was married to one of her men that's loyal? His name is Uriah. We don't know, but David wanted her. But either way, listen, uh, as the old saying says, it takes two to tango. It's not just one. It's important to see this. In verse 4, then David sent messengers, so he keeps going. And he took her, and she came to him. And she uh, lied with, uh, and he laid with her, and she cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house now. We hear nothing of her resistance again, nor any evidence that she was taken by force. Notice that. It says here she was purifying herself from her time of the month, most likely, that we read from the text. Did she see David? And again, we don't know. It's a good question to ask. Is Bathsheba just as guilty as David? Because she's going to have adultery with him. What about her husband? What about David? Seems like David sure liked multiple wives, just like Solomon. Maybe Solomon learned it from his dad, right? Look at verse 5 now. And, and the woman conceived so that she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Oh, man. What is David saying at this time? Bat Bathsheba, obviously pregnant with David's child. Their sin, listen to this, has produced an offspring. God allows this to take place. It's not right, but listen to this. We have a free will. We're free moral agents. God puts the law before us. God places the Holy Spirit in my life and your life, but bottom line, Bob makes his own decision, and sometimes that decision is wrong, and the same with your decisions. Notice now, God allowed this, right or wrong. One of my commentaries said this, and I don't totally agree with it, but I wanted to read it to you. David and Bathsheba didn't plan on this. Uh, they were terrified both at the problem. That's what I don't like. The problem of the pregnancy itself and that it meant uh, that their adultery would be found out. Is that what they're afraid of? So she sent and told David her message involved an appeal uh, to to him to take the necessary steps to avert the evil consequences of sin. And, and so, and as much as the law required that both the adulterer and the adulteress should be put to death. Did David know this law? I believe so. What about Bathsheba? Did she know the law? Let me read it to you in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. And that would be death by stoning. We know that. Now, again, I said it earlier. I don't completely agree with the commentary in the area that the pregnancy is not, it is not a problem. Sin is the problem. Sin is to blame. Because the people, uh, when, when they blame the problem in today's society, well, let's take care of it with abortion. And yet the child had nothing to do with this. Interesting. 
And we see today what abortion has done since 1973, 60, 70 million, and you got different variations. Look at verse 6 now. And then David sent to Joab, and he said, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. David's response to his sin or his cover-up of sin. There's an interesting proverb. I want you to write it down. I'm going to read it to you. Was Solomon thinking of his dad's sin? Because obviously later he finds out. Proverbs 28, verse 13. King Solomon, David's son, he writes years later. Now, I want you to pick up on this. Uh, in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 32, it tells us that Solomon wrote over 3,000 Proverbs. And then he also wrote uh, 1,005 songs. But I always like the Proverbs because we have 31. 31 that are classics in a sense. The best. God says these are the 31 that you need. But listen to what Solomon wrote. Proverbs 28 verse 13. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whosoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Will have mercy. David, you made a mistake. David, you should have confessed your sin. And I think we all fit that category at one time or another. Maybe God didn't notice. Maybe God didn't see. You know, when uh, people leave the church and, and, you know, we hear stories, and I don't know if they're true, but then I run into them in a supermarket or they run into my wife and, Man, they want to go to the, the next aisle. And my response to that, don't be afraid of me. I'm just a man, just like you. And that's just my wife. She's just a woman, just like you. Be afraid of God. Be afraid of God. And that's why I don't go to the store that much. <laughs> Look at verse 7. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. Notice that David's attempts to pretend that nothing happened. David gave every appearance that king that, that the things were normal, but they weren't normal. Now, Uriah, he's serving. That's all he wants to do. He's a loyal subject. To David, it was normal, or to Uriah, it was normal. But before God, it was not normal. It was not right. And you know, there's no mention of God till we get to the end of the chapter. But I want to warn you again, uh, as it spoke to my heart, in Psalm 139, we read that the psalm speaks of God as the all-seeing eye. He sees all things. And I've done this and you've done this. We don't want to express the sin to God or to anybody. We don't want anybody to know. But the Bible says that God sees all things. God knows all things. Look at verse 38 now. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house. And a gift of food from the king followed him. David has a plan, but I want you to see Uriah, he's obedient. He suggests to Uriah, go lie with your wife. That's what he's saying. 
that the child now conceived would pass to Uriah to save the honor of Bathsheba or to cover his own sin. I mean, obviously she's pregnant. But the more David tries, the more Uriah is obedient to the Lord. You're going to see. He's a Hittite, but he loves the Lord. Next week, we know that God's going to send a prophet by the name of Nathan, and David's going to be busted. Notice verse 9 now. Then, But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. David's plan didn't work very well, did it? Uriah and his men are on furlough from war. David's plan backfired. Sounds like you and I. I mean, I make plans, and, and they backfire. You make plans, and they backfire. And it's better to be up front because God knows all things. This shows us Uriah as a man of, listen to this, of obedience, a man of loyalty, and a man of integrity. He was a team player who did not want to enjoy the comforts of home as long as his fellow soldiers endured hardship in the field of battle. He slept right there with his men. He didn't go home, and David's thinking he went home. I took care of it. No, you didn't, David. In verse 10, so when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a, a journey? And why did you not go down to your house? David wanted desperately for Uriah, listen to this, to be like him. I took a break from battle, Uriah. You should take a break. He wished to grant Uriah the same privilege, but what does he want? He wants Uriah to go in unto his wife. And it would have happened. And then the sin would have been covered. But I believe God does not allow it. Look at verse 11. And Uriah said to David, and I love this, the ark of Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat, to drink? And listen, he knows what David wants. And to lie with my wife, but they, uh, Uriah still doesn't know that he's trying to set a trap. As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing, David. It's not right. This shows us Uriah had a passion for the glory of God. Even though he was a Hittite and not a native Jew, he was a good leader. He was a good soldier. He was a good man that loved the Lord. What's that old saying that we hear all the time uh, from the country western as you were singing? <laughs> God, country, and, and family, or God, family, and country. You know, put them in line. Uriah was a good man. And David's trying to destroy him. Uh, well, that's the next step since the first step doesn't work. In verse 12, then David said to Uriah, wait here today, also and tomorrow, and I will let you depart. So Uriah, he remained in Jerusalem that day and the next day. Now, listen, David, he's not telling the full truth. David's lying to Uriah. 
knowing that he wanted uh, him to go back uh, to the battlefront as soon as possible. He hoped that Uriah uh, would treat the coming evening as his last before returning to battle and be with his wife Bathsheba. David wants Uriah to sleep with his wife sexually. And that would have happened. But Uriah's loyalty, uh, I like this. Now, David's not finished yet. Uh, all these opportunities that God gave him. It's obviously not working, David. Confess your sin. In verse 13. Now, when David called him, he ate and he drank before him. And he made him drunk. Notice the, the steps that David's taken. And that evening he went out to, to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord. But he did not go down to his house. David tried to get Uriah a little tipsy and then send him home to Bathsheba. But he got more than tipsy. He got drunk. Or he went and said, forget it. You know, I can handle the, the liquor, but I'm going to still sleep with my, my men. David didn't want to cross that line. Uh, again, please understand the loyalty of this guy. In verse 14, in the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab, and he sent it by the hand of Uriah. David can't stop being crafty, and he can't stop trying to cover up the sin. I want you to write this down. You all know it. In 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Now, God is in the forgiving business. But the enemy comes along and said, David, cover the sin. The enemy comes along, David, you know, get, get him drunk, man. Do whatever you need to do. And so now David's plan, I have to kill him. I have to murder him. I have to get rid of the evidence. And we've all seen enough movies. Everybody has the perfect way out. Everybody has the perfect plan. And even if you get away with it, I hate to say it, but everybody thought O.J. got away with it. <laughs> and I'm not here to judge him. I hope he gets saved in jail. Because that's what he desperately needs. You have to love Uriah's loyalty. In verse 15, and he wrote in the letter saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. You know, as I've read this passage many, many times over through the years, I, I've often asked the same question. What about Joab? Well, he's loyal to his king. He's loyal. He's the captain. Had David done this before? You know, these are, there's a lot of things to think about here. I, I love Uriah's loyalty and dedication to God. We found that out earlier. He, he was concerned if, if the ark of God is intense, why should I be, uh, you know, sleeping comfortably? But he's not only loyal to God, but he's loyal to Israel and he's loyal to David. In verse 16, so it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there was valiant men. And so Joab knows exactly what David wants. 
He knows, uh, they, uh, he knows David's plan, but his loyalty to his king is commendable. But it's wrong. It's wrong. But this is where the grace of God comes in. You know, we look at our own government and some of the, uh, the laws and the rules and regulations that they make and they do and they stand up for them. They're wrong. But we have to obey the laws. That's what the scriptures say. And it's tough. Here's my take now. If this thing continues to escalate in our country, we're going to have a civil war if they try to take everybody's guns away. It's going to be awful. It's going to be ugly. Lord willing, we're gone. Look at verse 17 now. And when the men of the city came out and they fought with Joab, and some of the people of the servants of David fell, and Uriah the Hittite died also David's plan. I think David's heart is finally going to be relieved. Uriah, this man of God, loyal to Joab now. Loyal to David, loyal to Israel. No questions asked. I'm concerned about Joab, but you have to understand the authority figure. You have to understand the, the rules and the regulations. That's why he's the captain. And he did what David said. Then Joab sent in verse 18 and told all the things concerning the war. Joab obeyed his king, took the orders as a good soldier. Was he wrong? Well, we have the proof text here that he did it. In verse 19, and he charged the messenger and he said, now watch what David or, or Joab does. When you have finished telling the matters uh, of the war to the king, I, I believe he's doing these instructions now because Joab knows David. And then he says, if it happens that the king's wrath rises and he shall say to you, why did you approach so near uh, to the city where you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the walls? So in other words, if David brings it up to you, and he, he is going to bring it up. Look at verse 21. Uh, and he, he gives him this beautiful story that David knows. And I'm, it's taken out of Judges chapter 9, verses 50 through 59. And it says, who struck Abimelech, the son of uh, Jerubbish, uh, was it not a woman who cast a piece of uh, a millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thesbes? Why did you go near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Back up the message. Back up the letter. Abimelech was a bad judge. He was Gideon's son. He killed 70 members of the family. And when he got up to that wall, this lady, a portion of the stone, crushed his head. And then he dies. Notice the messenger now, verse 22. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab has set, uh, sent by him. All these verses, listen, was a smokescreen of what really happened. Again, David's just covering his backside, if you may. Uriah was obedient. 
I believe you're going to see Uriah in heaven one day. This was murder. This was blatant murder. In verse 23, and the messenger said to David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field. Then he drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. The archers shot from the wall at your servants, and some of the king's servants are dead. And Uriah, your servant, the Hittite, is dead also. And so Joab is bringing forth the, uh, the right message. And he wants to cover himself too. David wanted Uriah dead, and that's exactly what happened. I think most of us are old enough in the Lord. We know what we can get away with and what we can't get away with. This is one of the issues we spoke to uh, at the men's conference last Saturday. Compromise. It's part of our agenda. It should not be, but we compromise. And ladies, you compromise just as much as, as the men. And it's called the sin nature. And against, you know, the flesh and the spirit fighting. And I hate it when I, when I fall trapped to sin. I hope and pray you hate it when you fall trapped to sin. But praise God that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus, and confess that sin. I've run into people outside of the walls of the church here. Hey, I haven't seen you. What's, what's going on, man? Oh, you know, I don't want to go back to church, man. I'm a hypocrite. And I says, we're all hypocrites. Get back to your first love. Get back to the cross. Confess your sin. I, I tell you what, I don't know if any of you have have ever felt this sensation, and I have, you know, you, you hold it, you hold it, and then finally when you confess it, as they say, it's like a weight taken off. Oh, Lord, why did I wait so long? And you get that little small still voice, it wasn't my fault, I was here all the time. Confess that sin. Now, look at verse 25, interesting. Then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you. He's encouraging Joab. For the sword, listen, this is a proverb that was during this time, For the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. So encourage him. The proverb regarding... Uh, <laughs> The fortune or the misfortune of war. The proverb, what he's saying here, it was a way of saying this. Things happen. That was basically the, uh, what the proverb meant. Things happen, Joab. David said it. Listen to this. On his own guilt. David said it on his own conscience as much as he said it for Joab. And yet I wrote this on my notes here in verse 25 because we will study David's life and uh, he was a man after God's own heart. Now he was not allowed to build the temple because his hands were bloodied. The task was given to his son Solomon. But the Bible says that David 
was a man after God's own heart. Now, you can get angry with that. You can get frustrated with that. Or you can rejoice because if David was a man after God's own heart because David repented and God forgave him, he forgives me. He forgives you. And that's important because I've run into so many that say, God's not going to forgive me. Yes, he does. God's in the forgiving business, right? Don't let the enemy rip you off. Notice verse 26 and 27, we're coming to the conclusion. Uh, when the wife of Uriah heard the, that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned. She mourned for her husband. Like it or not, she was in pain. It hurt. She mourned. She does not know all that David did, the deception, the deception, the deception, the lies. But she's mourning. For her husband. Now, sin is covered, or is it? And I think that's the greatest part of David's life, honestly. Yes, he was a man after God's own heart, and he tried to cover his sin, we know that, but he's going to take heed to when Nathan the prophet comes. David, you're that man. Oh, that must have, uh, it must have hurt. But it's something that he needed to hear. She didn't know of all the trickery that David did, all the craftiness that David did. Look at verse 27 now. And when her mourning was over, David sent and he brought her to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done, listen to this, it displeased the Lord. It displeased the Lord. It looks good, covers the sin, looks good. He takes Bathsheba in. I mean, she's a widow now. Let me take care of her. It's too early. The baby, everybody's going to say it's David's. But this is the first mention of God in the chapter. Yet God witnessed every event and read the intent of every man's heart but his displeasure is only implied unto that specific statement. David, you're guilty. Now, write this down. We'll look at it more next week. In Psalm 51, it becomes more and more special because of true repentance by David. David writes that psalm, and I tell you what, it, it breaks you. And I've gone back and read that psalm before, and I, th I believe some of you have gone back and read that psalm. Uh, God is in the forgiving business, as I shared. God wants to see repentance, true repentance that, that comes from the heart, true repentance that comes from the mind, and true repentance, you, you have to turn away from that sin. You have to turn away from that sin. Now, we have just a little bit of time. Turn with me. To Psalm 32. Not only did David write Psalm 51, but prior to writing Psalm 51, he acknowledges that he struggled with that sin. And Psalm 32 is just 11 verses, but uh, I love it. I want to share something, what Pastor Chuck said in his commentary uh, on this beautiful passage of 2 Samuel chapter 11. As sin so often does, Chuck says, it can lead us to something worse and worse. It begins to compound and, and it begins to develop into its, 
insidious manner. In David's case, it turned from adultery to murder. That's like when people say, well, you know, I, I just steal a little paper clip. And then, you know, I needed some paper at home, so I took it from the office. I needed a pencil, too, you know. And see, you, it begins to add up. And then all of a sudden, well, your wife says, where'd you get that computer? Oh, I borrowed it from work. And then two years down the line, you're getting away with it completely. So you come in with a new SUV. Hey, where'd you get that? Oh, it's a gift. You see, it just adds up. And it started with a, a paper clip. But let's go over this real quick, it's, and then we're going to partake of communion. In verse 32, a psalm of King David, the joy of forgiveness. He says in verse 1, blessed is, is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And that's the pressure of sin. If you're truly born again of the Holy Spirit, if the Spirit of God is governing your life, even though you're in sin, conviction will not cease. Conviction cuts. And so you have to take care of it, right? Look at verse 2. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. You know what I see with David's life in the Old Testament? The grace of God. Thank you, Lord. The grace of God. Listen to me. If God can forgive David, he can forgive you. He can forgive me. Look at verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. This shows what David must have gone through. Does sin cause pain? Yes. If you're born again of the Holy Spirit, there's a conviction and there's a gnawing at your heart. There's a gnawing at your soul. you got to take care of it. Again, remember, <laughs> Eric Estrada is playing Nicky Cruz and he's tossing and turning. Conviction from David Wilkerson. No, the Holy Spirit. David, I hope, I, I say it every time, I hope Eric Estrada comes to saving grace. Notice verse 4 now. And it says, for, the day, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. This is the work of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Or as we've shared in the last couple of teachings, this is the work of the hound from heaven, the Holy Spirit that won't let you go. In verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's 1 John 1, 9 in the Old Testament. If I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me. In verse 6 now, for this cause... Everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found, surely in a flood of great waters. They shall not come near him. Oh, I love this. In a time, in a time of the greatest tragedies or the sin nature, whatever, God is still there. You are my hiding place. Look at verse 7. Uh, kind of reminds us of who? Corey Ten Boon. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me uh, from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. 
I will instruct you and teach you in, in the ways you should go. I will guide you with my eye. David knew the Lord. David knew his guidance was from the Lord. Even though the Holy Spirit was convicting him, and it's good, and it was painful, and it was hurting, David knew that it was the Lord. David knew that it would be better that he confesses sin. And then he gives this beautiful analogy. Do not be like the horse or, or like the mule, which have no understanding, uh, which must be harnessed with a bit and a bridle, else they will not come near you. Sometimes the Holy Spirit, listen to me, has to put a harness on us. Sometimes the Holy Spirit has to put that bit on us. Sometimes the Holy Spirit pulls back on it and we're just pushing away. That's called conviction, church. And David came to that place. Notice now in verse uh, 10 and 11, Many sorrows shall be uh, to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. But he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. David knew the forgiveness of God. David knew the mercy and the grace of God. In verse 11, the conclusion, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. David knew the victory of God. He knew the victory of God. And it's very important here now, church. We heard the story of David. We heard every which way he tried to cover the sin. And he did, but it's not over yet. Because next week's chapter, he's exposed of that sin. But here tonight, to prepare us for the communion table, get your heart right with God. In fact, when we, we go to the 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul speaks about self-examination because the Corinthians were uh, considered carnal Christians if they're such a thing. And they were coming to the communion table intoxicated. So we're going to prepare now. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to end in a word of prayer. I'm going to ask Santos to come back up. And, and then we're going to prepare together. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we worship you, Lord, and we stand in awe of your promises and of your holiness and of your righteousness. Uh, Lord, if there's anybody here tonight and still has not made a commitment to you, today is the day of their salvation. If there's anybody here tonight and they're in a backslidden condition, uh, tonight is a, the, the day of reckoning for them. They need to come back to their first love. They need to repent of their sin. The prodigal son tried everything, but he finally went back to the true shepherd. And so, Lord, we're not here to judge anybody. We're here to worship you and to praise you, Lord, and to prepare our hearts for the communion table. And so, Lord, we ask you to go before us, those uh, listening to the CD later, those listening on the radio or those uh, watching on live stream. Today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day uh, of true repentance. Come to the cross. Come to the cross. Lord, prepare us now for the communion table. We confess our sins. You're faithful, you're just, that to forgive us. Cleanse us and wash us and make us afresh and anew. Bring us back into the sheepfold. 
In Jesus' name, we pray. And we all agree by saying amen. Santos. Uh, let's start this way. Let's go like we do. Take your, uh, your element. Take the bread and, and, and the cup. And please hold on to it. And we'll partake together, okay? Wash me clean, and now I can praise you all my days. For through you, I am of God, Lamb of God, Lamb of God. In silence, you were led. Lamb of God In innocence you bled And now I can praise you All of my days For through you I am of God Lamb of God Lamb of God you were laid then in a grave Lamb of God By those you came to save And now I can praise you All of my days For through you I am of God Lamb of God as you said Lamb of God You rose up from the dead And now I can praise you All of my days For through you I am of God Lamb of God And now I can Worship you, Lord. Oh, Jesus, we love you. Amen. Let us hold the bread up together. Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, and he's bringing forth the institution of the Lord's Supper. He says, for I received from the Lord 
that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Uh, do this in remembrance of me. Father, as we hold the bread up, we're reminded of the body of Christ that was broken for us, that was beaten for us. And Lord, you went to the cross willingly. In fact, you ask if there be any other way, let this cup pass. But it, Lord, you took the cross for us. Remind us of that, Lord. Bless the bread now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's partake of the bread together. Let us also hold the, the cup now. And Paul continued, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. These are the words of Christ as Paul reiterates them and brings them back to us. As we hold the cup, we see the redness of the cup. It reminds us of the blood, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The blood that was shed at Calvary. You were emptied for us, Lord. You didn't want to go to the cross, but there was no other way. The animal sacrifices were only a covering. But Jesus... You gave it all for us. You died to give us life, life eternal. And so, Father, bless this cup now as we remember the death of your son. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all agree by saying amen. amen. Let's partake of the cup together. Now, before Santos uh, sings... Uh, this last song. When we have communion, we will also want to pray for the sick. And so, if you're seeking the Lord tonight for a physical healing, a mental healing, an emotional healing, as, as Santos will take us through this song, I want you to come up and I want you to get up here to the front and we're going to have the elders anoint you with oil and then we're going to pray after the song is over, okay? Come on up. Change my heart, oh God Make it ever true Change my heart, oh God May I be like you Change my heart, oh Make it ever true, make it ever true, Lord. Cambia mi corazón. Hazlo hacia la Yes, you are the potter. I am the clay. 
Cambia mi corazón Hazlo fiel a ti Hazlo fiel a ti Señor Cambia mi corazón Quiero estar en ti Yes, you are the potter I am the clay tonight, Lord Mold me and make me This is what I pray Change my heart, oh God Make it ever, ever true Change my heart, oh God, tonight. May I be like you one day at a time, Lord. As I come to the cross, Lord, may I be like you tonight, Jesus. Touch me with your love. We worship you, Lord. shoulders, whatever you want. We want to pray for each other and ask the Lord Mark to lay hands on you. Thank you, Jesus. Matthew, lay hands on a few people. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, thank you. for the opportunity of prayer, Lord. Lord, the, the scriptures tell us that you are Jehovah Rapha, that you are God, our healer. Yes. The scriptures tell us that uh, by your stripes we are healed. And so, Father, give us faith to believe. Lord, we've partaken of worship and praise and, and adoration. Yes, God. We've partaken of your word. And now, Lord, communion service has been a blessing. And so, Lord, we want to pray for the sick. I know some of these that are up here right now, they have cancer. And we ask for your healing touch, Lord. Jesus. And we know, Lord, that there are others that are going through emotional and spiritual battles, Lord. And again, Lord, we're not here to judge anybody. We're here to pray. And so, Father, you are the, the great physician, the great healer. Touch our frail bodies. Touch our weak bodies. Touch our broken bodies, Lord. Lord, there's a young man by the name of Reuben who's been calling me all week, and uh, I asked him to come tonight, and I don't know if he was able to make it, but he needs a desperate prayer for uh, his family. There's just so much going on. And, Lord, others in our fellowship that are just going through the fire, we ask for your healing touch, Lord. We ask for your hand of mercy, Lord. We ask for your presence to fall upon us, Lord. Touch us, Lord. Give us that faith like a mustard seed to believe, Lord. We love you, Lord, because you first loved yes. us. Lord, those that are uh, right now on live stream and, and watching, Lord, we pray for them, whatever needs they might have. Touch us, Lord. Touch us, Jesus. The media makes it possible for us to, uh, to touch lives across the nation if people are watching. And even later when they uh, get the CD or later they, they listen to it, uh, on the radio, whatever it might be, Lord, touch our bodies, Lord. Yes, and so, Father, go before us and 
Bless your uh, beautiful people as they've come, Lord. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. And we all agree by saying, Amen. Amen.